Hello, everyone. I'm your host here, Earl Breon, and today I've got a special guest with me, Chief Lees of the Indiana University Police Department. Chief Lees is actually a graduate of the IU Police Academy. After graduating, she joined the Plainfield Police Department, where she had a successful career, culminating in becoming a deputy chief and then joining IUPD as chief. Uh, her other activities include police chaplain, hostage negotiator, and rape aggression defense instructor. Chief Lees, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Earl. Thank you so much for having me on this afternoon. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Uh, you know, for the listeners here, I live in Plainfield, Indiana, and that's actually where I became aware of Chief when uh, she left uh, Plainfield Police Department and, and joined IUPD. So I've been wanting to have her on for a while. Uh, as, as a female in such a male-dominated uh, world, I think there's a lot of leadership lessons we could learn from you. So let's get started. Uh, the first question I ask all of my guests is, what does the phrase burden of command mean to you? Thinking about how I wanted to answer that question, um, I just want to break it down a little bit. When people think of burden, they think of, I think, something negative or something, a huge weight on their shoulders. Um, while being a chief of police does have a large amount of responsibility and weight um, you know, on my shoulders, I really feel that it's, it is full of responsibility. Um, it is my responsibility to all of those that serve the Indiana University Police Department to make sure that they go home safe at the end of their shift each night. Um, officer safety is my number one priority here. Um, I want to make sure that everybody is safe and um, does not get injured on the job. So there's a huge burden or a huge responsibility to make sure that everyone is safe. And also as a chief of police, there is a huge burden in regards to making sure that I try to reduce liability as much as possible um, through policy, policy review, uh, putting different procedures in place and practices. Um, you know, they always say it's lonely at the top and uh, being the chief of police is, is something that is, is a huge responsibility. Um, so that's how I would define the word burden in that, in that um, title. Um, and then command is really important that a good leader, a good chief of police is someone that can make a decision, that someone can not, you know, be a dictator. Um, but in my, in my case, I'm a big on servant leadership and be that servant leader, but also be able to take command. Uh, be able to make a decision in crisis and have that command presence, um, not only among the troops or the officers on the department, but also in the community that you serve. So I guess in, in the totality of the, of the title, burden of command is having that responsibility to be a leader, to, act, to lead, to do what you say you're going to do, and to follow through with that, um, knowing that there is a huge responsibility that goes along with being chief of police. Now, I, you mentioned in the burden part some of the uh, uh, some of the issues that you all face as campus police, making sure officers return home safe and all that. And, you know, I think there's kind of a perception that uh, on a campus police department that maybe some of those threats that exist for other law enforcement aren't quite as prevalent. You know, you're, uh, you're, you're busy just busting up frat parties and things like that, but uh, it, that's not really just the case, is it? No, that isn't. And what I always tell everyone um, inside and outside the campus community is that we are a fully functioning police department. Um, here recently, I was uh, had a meeting where someone kept calling me the security officer, the security manager, and I kept referring to the fact that, no, we are a full-fledged police department. And one thing that I will definitely hang my hat on at IUPD is the highest quality of training that we have. So while these things may not happen very often in regards to, you know, critical incidents you may see in a larger city, we have to be prepared for that one time um, that something could occur that, you know, whether it's an active shooter, whether it's um, another different um, crisis on campus, we have to be prepared for that. And we have excellent instructors here that are constantly training and working to make sure that we are ready if that does occur. Yeah, and you know, I think that's the one thing a lot of people 
uh, underestimate. You know, I, I do some work uh, through the leadership phalanx. We work with uh, emergency managers, first responders, other law enforcement. And, you know, the one thing I get from some other law enforcement is actually they're kind of glad they're not part of a, cl- a campus police department because, you know, especially like a, a big school like IU, you know, when you have games going on, the, the campus gets kind of hectic, right? Kind of would be a, a small word to use. Um, and, and I can't say much about it just yet. This is my very first football season since working IU football uh, 24 years ago. Um, so in looking at that, I just, you know, I'm kind of bracing myself for what we're doing this this year in regards to football, but there are a lot of moving parts. There is traffic, there is security, um, there's a lot of people that work with event services, um, and this is a Big Ten campus. We are playing Ohio State and Michigan at home this year, and um, I'm very looking forward to uh, being a part of this. And as my boss would say, uh, the Associate Vice President Hunter would say um, that I'm in charge, <laughs> good, bad, or otherwise. Uh, I am in charge. So with all that in mind, I shared with Chief Lees before we got on here that uh, you know I'm on a women's leadership group, and I was able to ask those ladies uh, what questions she, they would like me to ask Chief Lees. And so talking about the demographics and, and the events, I thought this was a really good time to ask this question. Uh, how are you handling the rise in anxiety and mental illness among college students? And do you require those in your police department to take psychology courses and practice de-escalation more intensively given the demographics you serve? I think the biggest thing that I've noticed at uh, being at a Big Ten University at IU here is that we are very collaborative with our campus partners. I work very, very closely with the um, counseling and psychological services here at Indiana University. Um, so I'm constantly working with those folks in regards to the, the types of anxiety and mental illness and crisis that students now face today. Um, I'm also part of what's called a care team. Um, and this team also has psychological services. It has dean of students, student conduct, student affairs. And we all sit around a table every week to make sure that, um, that we are working with a list of students that come across through a care report that might be in some sort of crisis. May not be mental illness or might not be anxiety, but there might be all different types of reasons um, that we come into contact with them. Um, and then in regards to the training of our officers, we work really closely again with the CAPS, the Counseling and Psychological Services, because we're the ones that a lot of times may voluntarily transport people to the hospital for um, a mental evaluation. Um, we also, or involuntarily uh, due to uh, immediate detention, um, but we also do work at practicing de-escalation techniques and training on how to communicate and talk with different students in crisis. Um, and in comparison from coming from a municipal agency, these officers here at Indiana University do a great job working with students and actually looking at how they can assist them and what their problems are. Where a lot of times in the city, you're going call to call and you might um, you know, handle the problem that day, but they don't look at the long-term part of it sometimes because of the run volume. Uh, but here, they re- officers do a great job communicating and de-escalating many situations. Okay, good, good. Um, now, a few of the other questions, uh, and I'm going to kind of lump some of these together because they were kind of in the same vein. Uh, but it had to do with uh, the the what's been known as the rape culture uh, on campuses. And, and the first question was, have you read the book Missoula? Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, I started here at Indiana University as the chief in March. And um, working with a lieutenant of investigations, he walked in my office shortly after I started here, probably couple weeks to get myself settled and said, hey, have you read this book? And and I had not at the time. Um, you know, where I worked in um, Plainfield or in municipal agency, you know, you had sexual assaults, but you didn't have anything that was described in this type of book on that kind of setting. So I was eager to read the book. Um, he let me loan, he loaned me his copy and 
Um, I went through that and read it, and I just uh, couldn't put it down. I, I just couldn't believe um, some of um, the stories in that book and how, you know, the rape culture on that campus uh, was, you know, such widespread and how it really, um, you know, really made an impact in how these cases were prosecuted as well. Yeah, it, I mean, it was a gut-wrenching read and and... and you know, hearing some of the statistics in the book, and, and I can't remember if it was in that book or if it was another article I read, but they were talking about how they, they estimate that on campus, uh, you know, less than 4% of sexual assaults and, and rapes uh, are, are reported. So it really makes you wonder how big of a problem it really is, if that's true. Absolutely. And again, working in collaboration with um, our Title IX coordinator, um, the sexual violence prevention um, office, you know, we sit down and we communicate about different, uh, you know, different challenges, issues that come about. And, and I've also been working with our investigations team here in partnering with the Monroe County Prosecutor's Office, um, and especially the prosecutor that um, handles those types of cases, um, to really work toward a strategy of how to, to better obviously prosecute those cases, but looking at the prevention side of it as well. So I'm trying to look through that full circle to make sure that, you know, we don't end up like like how it was described in the book Missoula. Okay. And that kind of answers the next question is, uh, what is your plan to, to make uh, IU a different campus experience? Well, again, working in collaboration with the different groups of sexual violence prevention, um, the prosecutor's office, our investigators making sure that they're properly trained in um, trauma-informed interviews, you know, really looking at our processes and how we can tighten them up, um, making sure that we cross our T's and dot our I's. And one of the things we've started doing is doing case reviews. Um, so if I could just um, digress for a minute and talk about a case review that we just did, we did a big tabletop discussion on the Lauren McCluskey case, and that was a case out of uh, Utah. And looking at how um, this, this woman had contacted, as a student, contacted her local um, university police department and some of the challenges that she faced, uh, we sat down as not only the team here at IUPD Bloomington Division, but with all the statewide campuses to make sure that we are double checking how would we have recreated that and how if we were presented with this case, how would we have handled it? Um, and it was a long involved case where a gentleman she had met was not really who he said he was. And there was a long thing, you know, that went from there, but then he ultimately um, ended up killing her. Uh, but there were a lot of holes in that case and a lot of things that um, we wanted to make sure and improve upon so that doesn't happen on our campuses. Well, that you know, that's a good uh, that's a good strategy. I like the, the kind of after action report. You know, as, as a Marine, it was one of the things that we did after all of our exercises and, and even real world interactions was we got together and did exactly what you just said and look for those lessons learned to improve. And uh, so I, I, I really like and identify with that strategy. So. Uh, and that's one thing, too, that we are going to continue. This was a very successful case review and kind of an after action report. Reading that final report of that investigation, we're going to continue to do that um, because we've identified the fact that we could always improve. Um, you could always improve, but you don't want to have those huge holes where someone would slip through the cracks in regards to, um, you know, if they're trying to report a crime, trying to report a situation and there's certain um, missing pieces. So we're definitely trying to uh, make sure that we uh, tighten everything down with all of our case reviews. And that's something that, you know, I think is very important. And then constantly, you know, communicating and collaborating with the different groups, because from what I understand, Sexual Violence Prevention Office, they are the best key of reaching the most students. So we've definitely been partnering with them to get our safety messaging across that they can pass along if I can't meet with every student personally. Um, so that's really important that we're constantly uh, improving our community and student engagement as well. Good, good. Well, on that, you know, uh, just in case there are any students, and, and not even just on campus, but uh, 
you know, unfortunately, sexual assault and, and violence isn't something that's restricted to, to campuses. It's prevalent in workplaces. I mean, heck, if you uh, follow the media, it's, uh, you can't even get on an airplane anymore without running the risk of, of something happening. Uh, what safety tips do you have uh, for women and, and anyone in general? Because I think one of the uh, kind of overlooked statistics is uh, while it is a much smaller uh, portion of the pie, you know, men face sexual assault and, and uh, rape as well. So, so what safety tips do you have for, for people in that situation or to avoid that situation? I'm a really big proponent on crime cannot occur without opportunity. Um, and as a RAD instructor, the Rape Aggression Defense class has taught me that there are many ways to reduce and avoid the risk of becoming a victim. Now, obviously, nothing's ever foolproof, and you can do the best job in the world, but um, you know, we try to help reduce that risk and try to educate women and men, um, anyone that will listen, obviously, to avoid becoming a victim, a victim of any kind, whether it's theft or even sexual assault or um, dating violence or domestic abuse. Um, we obviously, as that instructor, I think the best safety tips that we're trying to come across, and one thing at, at IUPD, we're trying to like brand our messaging meaning that if, you know, I go out and give a safety talk, the next officer that goes out, you know, gives, you know, they may do it in their own style or flair, but they give the same messaging uh, where we talk about going out in groups and not by yourself, staying in the well-lit areas. Um, go, if you go to a party with a group or a gathering, come home with that same group. One of the things that we've really been hitting hard is Uber safety. We had an incident last school year where we had, um, a girl get into the wrong Uber because her name was the same name as the other girl that called for an Uber. So when this gentleman started driving the wrong direction, it, you know, it kind of scared her. So we're really pushing the Uber safety of trying to make sure that you can confirm your with your driver and your vehicle you're getting into the, the destination that you're going. Um, one of the simplest things that we are trying to make sure we convey to people is keeping your phone charged. Um, I know it sounds simple, but I've read police reports that said I would have called the police, but my phone was dead. <laughs> so, um, you know, keeping your phone charged at all time, especially if you're out for an entire day and then you're studying at the library at night, you really need that in your back pocket to get a hold of 911. Um, and with that, Indiana University is rolling out a brand new app, a safety app for um, our phones. And it's for students, faculty, staff, and um, anyone that wants to download it. It's called the Rave Guardian app. And if you download this on your phone, I like it because it has all the important links you need and all the important phone numbers you need in the app. So I may not know how to call for a safety escort ride, which is something that we, we offer here on campus. It's in your phone. You can reference to it. Um, or if someone needed to fill out a care referral form because there is a student in crisis, they can do that through the app itself. Um, you can also call 911 from this app or call the IU Police Department from it. You can also text um, tips to IUPD, um, which is great because you can be anonymous and if you see something, you can say something without um, you know, if you see something suspicious, you wouldn't have to necessarily, you know, give your name. But this is a great way to do that through the app. And this is also something where your uh, IU notify or emergency alert system can notify you of an active shooter or an emergency on campus and give you further instructions on what to do. The final feature it has is a safe walk timer. So in going back to some of these safety tips for people, um, you can uh, set up your friends and family that know that, you know, they can connect them in that app so they know if you're walking from the library to your residence that there's a safety timer that they can kind of track where you're to make sure you get back on time. So we do a lot of different types of safety talks and tips, but I think this new app, which is new this school year, is something that is really vital for all student safety. And I've spent the whole last week talking with international students that are here on campus for um, their orientation and, and move in uh, to please download that app because they can get so many features off of that app 
that will help them maintain their safety. Well, that is uh, that, that is nice. Now, is that something that is uh, IU specific, or is that something that other other college campuses possibly have available? Now, I'm sure other college campuses use some sort of safety app, but this is IU specific. But this is also campus or all campuses on the Indiana University. So, if you're on the Northwest campus, Southeast. Um, you can download this app as well for all of the IU campuses here in Indiana. Okay. Uh, one, one other thing I'd like to mention is that the Office of Sexual, Pro, uh, Sexual Violence Prevention is partnering with me to work on uh, messaging coming out probably this fall or over the winter time in regards to dating app prevention. When we talk about preventing sexual assault and awareness, um, you know, students and people that use dating apps, um, sometimes uh, we can definitely be do better of helping them prevent sexual assault by giving them important information on, on that as well. So I'm, I am in the middle of a partnership with them to try to get more um, safety messaging out about, um, about that. Well, that's, no, that, that is good to know. That's, uh, uh, that, that I use kind of I'll say leading the way with that because that that is a valuable tool to have it at your fingertips and and I like the anonymity piece there uh, you know because that's a big uh, that's a big key in getting people to be more likely to report something right absolutely and and someone used it it was great because we we just rolled it out and someone texted did the tip to text and you know just was asking a general question. But we were able to to see how it worked through the whole process, and they really appreciated that and said they were going to pass it along to their friends, and we thought it was cool on how we can answer it on our end. Um, so it worked out really well. Um, so that's something that we're really trying to push, and I know it was on the local Indianapolis News Channel here this past week, uh, that we are promoting the safety app. And, you know, with technology the way it is, I mean, when I was in college, we didn't have anything like this. I'm not even sure if we had the blue emergency phones back then, but <laughs> uh, surely didn't. I didn't have a cell phone. Um, but this is a great way to keep everyone safe. Yeah. And again, like listening to some of the tips, uh, I think the thing that struck me is, uh, you know, so I served in the Marines in the, in the late 90s, pre-September 11th. And, and even back then, we had to go through a lot of uh, counterterrorism training, and, and really the the basics of it was a lot of the stuff you said is, uh, you know, stay aware of your surroundings, never go off base alone. Uh, if you are out in public, uh, never leave a drink unattended or take a drink from somebody that you don't know. And and the the one key uh, to it all was alternate your route. Never take the same route as a matter of routine. Uh, that way, if somebody's stalking you or staking you out, they never know which way you're going, so they can't set up. Uh, and it's kind of spooky to me to hear some of the similarities between counterterrorism training and and safety on campus and how closely those two things kind of relate. It, and I think the biggest thing that I've ever in my whole career tried to teach safety, you know, neighborhood crime watch groups or women's groups or anyone is situational awareness. And nothing could be more important than that. If you are aware of your surroundings and aware of what's going on around you, that's half the battle. Um, and, you know, I don't want to make this sound like, you know, this campus is ridden with sexual assault cases and crimes. Majority of, of crimes that do occur are your property crimes with thefts, uh, theft of bicycle, theft of um, things out of dorm rooms and apartments. But we also have scams, too. And everybody talks about all the, the two, you know, if it's too good to be true. And it, you know, usually you shouldn't take part in it. Uh, but that's what we try to, um, you know, message to students as well, because I feel like they're, you know, students are vulnerable of thinking they're getting a good deal on something and then they end up getting scammed. So, you know, we're trying to balance the crimes against persons and that prevention also with the, the balance of the property crimes as well. And how you can protect your belongings, because many people end up having their backpacks, bicycles, phones, wallets, and other items of high value to them stolen. And we definitely want to prevent that as well. Yeah. All right. So let's switch a little bit to, uh, uh, to the leadership piece, because that's a big, uh, big component of this show. As a... As a female, a very successful female in a fairly male-dominated uh, profession, 
Um, what is one of the biggest leadership lessons that you've learned through your career? I think the biggest leadership lesson that I've learned in my career is that I would, it, it goes back to the servant leadership. I would never ask anybody to do anything that I would not do. Um, it is not about sitting in my office and, you know, putting out all these orders and directions and instructions and assignments. Um, I like to be uh, where everyone is. You know, I've never forgotten where I've come from. And in the police world, they always say a good leader is a cop's cop, uh, meaning that they've not forgot what it was like to be the one standing on the corner directing traffic or work crashes. And I've made a commitment to everybody at Indiana University that I will be out and ride with their squad every single month. So each each month, there's four different squads, and I take time out of my meetings and everything else I have going on to make sure that I ride along or work alongside the men and women of Indiana University on each of their separate squads, visit their roll calls. Um, I showed up to our hiring process, physical agility testing on Saturday. And it's not micromanaging, it's, it's being present, it's listening, and it's also showing that I care. And that's really, really important to me because having those conversations that are just side conversations, I can gauge whether um, I need to make some improvements, changes, and with the feedback that I'm given just in a ride along is very valuable to me. And it shows that I'm a genuine person. Mm. Yeah, I, I like that. Uh, the one thing I, I try to express to people the most about leadership is is leadership is just a relationship. Anything that makes a, a, a relationship work is going to help your uh, your leadership, and and all those things you're doing th those are those are fantastic things to uh, for every leader to kind of emulate. So so I, I like where you're going with that. Uh, Thank you. I just feel that um, you know I've, I've had. You know, you always think that, you know, I guess my boss, um, Associate Vice President Benjamin Hunter, he's always called me like a self-proclaimed or self-taught leader. And and I, I really appreciate what he's he's done with that comment. At first, I didn't really know what he meant, but he's meant that I'm the one that's like dug into the leadership books and take in those different principles and actually try to put it into practice without being, you know, I have not been to the FBI National Academy yet. I've not been to the Southern, you know, Police Institute and taken all these classes. I have definitely been to some police executive leadership training um, and training through um, Leadership Hendricks County. But um, I really like that, you know, it kind of makes me smile. He's called me a self, self-taught leader because I've done it by experience. And I think that you, you definitely know what works, what doesn't work. You might have worked with leaders that you wanted to emulate and those you might not have. Um, but at the end of the day, it comes down to different principles that I learned from a former retired chief who basically said, you know, you've got to build trust. You've got to have communication, teamwork, um, strategy, you know, strategic planning, but you also have to care. And I think everybody knows how much I care about them. And if they feel like they have the support and backing to do their job, that's a huge morale booster. And they're out there giving their 100% every day. Right. No, I like, um, I want to say it was Zig Ziglar. I may be uh, mis attributing this quote here, but it says, uh, you don't have to lead somebody to love them, but you have to love them to lead them. Exactly. And, and, and I think that, um, you know, they, they definitely, I, I have, I, I like to be a leader that has a light sense of humor too. I like to have fun. And I, and I, I once, I think here recently I posted something on LinkedIn about a good work culture. It was like a quote that said something about a good work. You could tell by a good work culture because there's smiles and laughter. And that reminded me of, of how I lead in about Indiana University Police Department because we like to have a good time here. Now, I realize as a chief of police, I can't be everybody's friend. And that's not my goal. But it's, you know, because of that fine line. But we can have a good time. You can come to work, do what you're supposed to do. And especially in this profession, you got to have, you know, a good time to the best that you can of doing it. Because we're all brothers and sisters, and you know this is definitely a unique, unique role that we have, um, and you have to have a little bit of sense of humor while doing it. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I, 
I can't tell you how many leaders I, I work with that, that'll say some variation of, yeah, I don't understand. I hear people, you know, laughing and joking. And as soon as I walk into the room, that, that stops. And it's like, when are you going to get that the problem's you? <laughs> You've got to fix that. <laughs> exactly. And I can tell you that I've taken a couple of practical jokes a little too far in during my career. And I've learned my lesson there. But um but, you know, just the laughing and joking and the camaraderie that we have, I think, is the most vital in, in regards to being and building your team. Now, number one foundation is trust. If you don't have trust, you can't. Um, that goes back to the Stephen Covey book, um, The Speed of Trust. But if you don't have that trust, you can't build anything else. And once you have that, you can really start building your team. And you really do a good job, um, you know, because you, you do it with, you know, a sense of humor or with a, a laid backness. And I am a, I'm a pretty laid back person. There's very few things that really get me fired up. Um, but that, that's where I feel like I love the culture here. We have so many young officers with such great potential that I want to make sure that, um, that they enjoy coming to work every day. There's nothing worse than getting up every day and not enjoying what you do. Well, and that's critical. And, and you said the, the term there, brothers and sisters, you know, and that's the thing. Uh, being a veteran, and, and I know there's a lot of law enforcement that are veterans, but not all law enforcement are veterans. And, you know, we, we have a very similar uh, background just because of that. You know, as one of my buddies always said, he goes, the, the big difference between the military and the police is in the military, you may deploy for six months here, uh, a couple months there. As a police officer, you, you deploy every single day. You get up and you get in a squad car or you get up and you walk a beat or just show up to work. So it's it's very similar in, in that that camaraderie and, and, you know, the joking. You know, there, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of high stress, uh, high risk uh, situations that you get into. And that 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 comedy and being able to joke and, and is a big stress relief and. And helps prevent some of that anxiety uh, and burnout that we were talking about a little earlier. Absolutely. And Earl, you brought up a really good point about us deploying every single day. I mean, when when I want people to know when police, you know, get out of bed or get ready for their shift, it's a ritual. Every police officer I've ever talked to in my career, they have their own ritual on how they get ready for a shift. And it's kind of like it's kind of like game day for athletes and you have your own way you do things, your own equipment check and, and it's every single day and you can see how, um, you know, it's so important to include police families in the culture as well because you're being deployed at home and you're going out and doing battle every day with your brothers and sisters and it is a huge camaraderie. And I had a chaplain once tell me and, and he, he made a really great speech to uh, Plainfield Police Department when I worked there he equated police officers with elite athletes, and he made sure he used the word elite because we have some similar characteristics about, you know, police and, and elite athletes a lot of times have a hard time trusting people or making friends because they feel sometimes people would take advantage of that. Um, they also have the, what I would say and what he termed as the it factor. You know, you have that Peyton Manning or somebody you know, makes a bad player an interception, but goes back at it and, you know, can make that, they can make that huge play. And, and we kind of have that it factor. And there are cops that, you know, you know, that are just rock stars out there and they're doing a great job. But sometimes I would definitely equate that with a, an elite athlete as well. And we obviously have to be on our mental, physical and psychological game um, you know, to do our job and do it effectively. We always have to have our head on a swivel out there in the community. And the way I always tell people that want a career in law enforcement is this is a lifestyle and not a job. And I know we always try to talk about work-life balance, and that's a whole other podcast topic, I'm sure. But if you think about how, you know, no matter where you go in the community, you're always looking, you're scanning, you're training, you just can't turn off off-duty. And that's something I always try to impress upon people that really want to get in this profession, because that's really important that, you know, we're living in that glass fishbowl, the glass house, and, and people see what we're doing on and off duty. You know, I mean, now you're, you're really uh, swinging in my wheelhouse right now, because, you know, one of the things they taught us as a Marine and one of the things we teach, one of our shields of the leadership phalanx is you are always on display. 
And, and you know, I'll tell you, as, as somebody who does what I do and, and has the background, uh, so when I got to my first base as a Marine, I had a crusty old uh, gunnery sergeant. He pulls me aside and he says, Breon, he goes, I want you to remember one thing. He goes, now that you're in the fleet, now that you're a Marine, because if you go out in town and you get drunk and you do something stupid, you didn't do it. The Marine Corps did it. Never make my Marine Corps look stupid. And, and you know, so when I see, <laughs> you know, I, I get that I'm a little bit hyper aware doing what I do in the background. But when I see I'm driving down the road and I'm, I'm admittedly doing, you know, 10 miles an hour over the speed limit and, and I see a cruiser come up behind me and then I hit the brakes a little bit, you know, do the, the, the general butt clinch kind of thing. And then all of a sudden the, the cruiser goes past me doing, you know, 70 miles an hour, 15, 20 miles an hour over. And then you see everybody else speed up behind them like, hey, well, I know the speed limit's only 45, but the police is doing 70. So, uh, it, you know, it's, it's a big impact that, that you all have on society, I guess, is the point I'm getting at, is, is setting that example of kind of they look at you as to what is acceptable behavior and what's not, Right. Right. And I think the biggest word that I repeat over and over and over again is chief is perception. And I think a lot of times, you know, officers, let's say they don't, and I'm not talking about here or Plainfield or anywhere else, but you see, you know, officers don't do anything, let's say bad, but what is it perceived as, you know, and that's where a lot of times I try to train these young officers of, okay, well, you didn't make a mistake, but think about what the perception is of this action or of this, of what you said or what you did or what you posted on social media or, or whatever. Um, so that's a big word is perception is reality. So we have to make sure that we, um, you know, don't have the public perceive wrong things that we're, we're doing when we're not. Right, right. Okay, so again, uh, we kind of touched on on being a successful female in, in sort of a male-dominated profession. Um, one of the questions that I had asked was, what was your biggest obstacle as a female, uh, as a female police officer, you know, getting respect, being seen as, as one of, of the officers and not just kind of a, a token uh, female meeting a... Uh, you know, meeting a quota, so to speak? I think, you know, a lot of times, I mean, I think the worst thing you can do, if I can speak of that first, of being a female officer is, you know, having this chip on your shoulder. I can do the job just as good as you, and I can do this and that. Um, I think my biggest success to that challenge has been just to keep my head down and do my job to the best of my ability. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm very social and I don't have to always surface in a crowd as the leader. But when I was working patrol or working my way up through the ranks, I just kept my head down, did the best that I could do every day. And I always thought in the back of my mind, I really hope that my hard work gets noticed. And then I think the best thing that I've ever done, and I always give this advice, is do things no one wants to do. If you do things no one wants to do, you do them, you learn how to do them, you do them well, then you become the expert, and then people see how well you work in different areas and how that can translate um, to different ranks, jobs, passions that you have um, in law enforcement. And I think that was the key to my success in my career is I did some of the things that no one signed up to do, and I became good at it, which helped get my name out there thinking that, oh, well, she might be a good sergeant or a lieutenant or a captain because, you know, of all the hard work I've done throughout the years. I never really felt like I had anything to prove. I always did all of my work for my own job satisfaction, but it resonated with everyone else in the department. So I always try to just tell people, keep your head down, do your job and do it to the best of your ability and do things no one else wants to do because it's not the glamorous police, you know, jobs or tasks in the force, um, and you know, hopefully you'll get noticed. And another thing is be prepared. Be more prepared than anyone. Um, because I always use my favorite word with uh, the IU um, cadets or recruits in the academy. We have our own academy at Indiana University, the, the one that I graduated from. And I always tell them my favorite word is opportunity. And you never know when opportunity is gonna present itself. 
So you have to be the hardest worker in the room and you have to be prepared so when an opportunity happens, you can just hit the print button on the computer and here comes your resume, your cover letter, and you are ready to go and you have done research on what you wanted to do um, because that's really important of getting to that next level is being prepared for any opportunity and especially the opportunity that you've been waiting for. Mm. I, I love that. That uh, reminded me of uh, one of the stories that Colin Powell loves to share about how when he was a young lieutenant, uh, he walked into the officer's club and, and he saw a general that he admired. And he went up and he asked the general, he said, sir, how do you become a general? The general looks at him and says, well, you get up earlier, you know your job better, you press your uniform better, you're more squared away than everybody else. And he said, I looked at him and goes, well, sir, that doesn't seem very hard. That, that's how you get promoted to general? He goes, no, son, that's how you get promoted to captain. He goes, then you have to start all over again. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's being that hardest person, hardest worker in the room and it's uh, really getting after it. Um, and one of the things that, that I've done um, in my short period of time, I've just been here almost six months now at Indiana University, is I sat down with everyone, every single employee that's full-time on the department, and sat down to do a one-on-one -on -one interview uh, conversation to, to conduct a SWOT analysis of our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats as an agency, which is going to help me with future strategic planning coming from an outside agency. But I, at the end of that interview, I flipped the paper over and I said, okay, what do you want to do with your career? What are some of your career goals? And had a great career development discussion with them. Um, and then I've since plugged it into a spreadsheet. So now I know exactly who wants to be promoted to this and who wants to be an instructor and who wants to be a, an FTO. Um, and I think that's really going to help us move forward as a group, as a team, but it's also going to help individuals move forward. And I am committed and willing to do anything I can to help those achieve their goals. Um, I actually, since we do have our own police academy here, we have part-time officers, part of this um, cadet officer program um, that have asked since I've become chief if they could come talk to me since I worked in a municipal agency. And I have done some career counseling with them and have really tried to um, get, get them to think and be prepared of not just getting this great police experience here at IU, but also how they're going to get on the future departments that they want to work at. So I'm always trying to work on career development as well. Oh, nice. No, that, that is good stuff. So um, so we're coming up on about the 40, 45-minute time frame here, and I know uh, you're kind of busy, and, and I want to respect your time, so we'll work on, on closing things out. But I do have one more question that I've got to ask, because uh, the lady I know and respect, uh, she wanted me to ask you this question. Uh in your time as, as uh, whether it's police officer or, or in management, even at, at your current position, have you ever been called the B word? And when I asked for clarification, she said either bitch or bossy. And if so, how did you handle it both internally and externally? Well, yes, I have. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, it's like you try to try to I, I'm always big on blending in. I will just say this, when, when they asked me, you know, what, what unit number do you want when, you, when, you, when I came here as chief? Well, I could have picked number one because it was available, but I did not. I picked the number 30 because that meant something to me um, because that's how I am. I like to blend in. I'm not wearing the fancy uniform. I'm wearing the uniform of the day like everyone else does, right? Um, so when it comes to being a female out taking runs or at meetings or different things, I don't feel like I blend in because I am female in, in that regard of being called bitchy or bossy, if that makes sense. You know, I mean, guys aren't automatically labeled as that. that what's that saying? It's, you know, they call it leadership, but for us, they call it, you know, being a bitchy or bossy. Right, right. Um, again, I've never really had a huge struggle with that. Um, I've obviously been called that before. I always, uh, on a personal level, I always, uh, you know, equated it with being an only child. So I was a little Miss Bossy before, <laughs> before I ever became a police officer, I suppose. Um, but, I, you know, I try to keep that in the back of my mind a little bit is when I assert my leadership. But, but I'm never afraid to do so. I've always had a lot of confidence. Um, and I've never let that kind of stuff get me down. I've never like put my tail between my legs and walked away or kept quiet in a meeting because I was called that. 
um, or whatever the case may be. I've always said I'm just me and I've used my authenticity and my genuineness um, to be who I am. And that's all I always tell people is be yourself, be who you are. Now, I will tell you the one word that will get me fired up more than anything is being called lazy. I think as a leader and as a police officer in every rank I've ever held, I always outworked, out, you know, prepared everyone. Um, and one time someone, had, you know, well, probably more than one time, someone had made the insinuation that I was lazy or did something, you know, in a lazy manner. And that really fired me up because that's not true. You know, if it's true, okay. But if it's not true, then, then I definitely have a problem with that. Um, I've always stuck up for myself. I've always handled things to the best of my ability. I've always... Um, handled my emotions um, and I've always looked at being a female in leadership definitely does have its challenges with that and um, I've always found that and this is something that's you know more personal on the personal side but this is kind of interesting that I've never really had trouble at work with that kind of stuff but I've always had trouble with that a little bit in personal relationships because I've always felt like men or certain men did not like, you know, that, that persona of, of a woman in, you know, authority, whether I was a captain or a lieutenant or a deputy chief or whatever. And I've always found that interesting um, that, you know, they have a little bit harder time with that on a personal level than definitely on a work-related level. Mm. No, I mean, and I love the approach to that. that that's what I've you know, mentoring uh, women in various leadership roles whenever that comes up is, is you know, that's the thing I try to stress. So it's nice hearing you kind of reinforce it as, as a female has been through it is, you know, at some point in time, you got to realize that's that's a them problem. That's not a you problem. Uh, if, if you're. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I've gained more respect in my career just by being me. And I think that um, the principles of being kind to everyone taking an active interest in everyone, willingness to meet new people um, and listening, I really feel has helped gain that respect. And I really haven't had that like constant, wow, she's a real, she's really bossy or, you know, I just don't like when she starts barking orders or whatever, because I've never had to do that. If you treat people with kindness, you know, and fairness, you know, people will volunteer to do things for you or people understand what you're coming from. And I don't like to hand down discipline or, um, you know, but I will say that, you know, if, if you give out discipline, they put themselves there, you know, and you just have to facilitate that. But a lot of times in very conflicting, um, you know, confrontative or um, conversations I've had with people, I've always said to them, put yourself in my shoes. What, how would you have handled this situation? So that way they can see that I have to make tough choices that might seem pretty bossy or, you know, uh, pretty authoritative, you know, but, um, but, but a lot of times when I say, hey, put yourself in my shoes on this one, how would you respond to that? Or how would you react to that? Or how would you handle this? Most people would then say, yeah, that's fair enough. I understand the, the liability and it goes back to the burden of command um, that I have to make sure that everything runs smoothly, you know, daily here. Hmm. All right, Chief. So again, uh, coming up on some time here. Uh, so last question for you. Is there anything that we haven't discussed that you'd like to touch on before we close out? Um, I would just like to say that, um, you know, I've, again, you know, I've gone to a lot of different leadership training classes, read a lot of different books, but I really feel like you know, we are all in the police department. Everyone is an informal leader. I've always preached this because the officers out there, you know, being self-motivated and having to respond to calls for service have to make leadership decisions in my absence or in their sergeant's absence. And I really want to, to emphasize how important that is on any police department and how I'm trying to um, you know, facilitate and, you know, add that leadership aspect here to show them as I support their efforts, they feel more confident to then make leadership decisions, which will hopefully help, you know, create and, um, you know, begin their leadership style. Uh, but I want everyone to know that, you know, in, informal leadership is very, very important and very essential in police department. Okay. 
Well, Chief, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you joining us today. You're welcome, Earl. I really appreciate you having this on and giving me this opportunity. And um, I'm always willing to help those um, in leadership. And, and I always love to have leadership conversations. Well, no, and it shows. And and I'll be honest, this may not be the only episode we do. If you're up for it, I may have you back on at some point in time in the future. Absolutely. I would love to do it. All right. Well, listeners, thank you very much for joining us. And if you have any questions or comments for, for Chief Lee's, uh, you can send them to me if you have any ideas for uh, stories. Uh, if you have any ideas for anybody else you'd like to hear me interview, you can reach out and send those to me at burden.command at gmail.com. Again, I want to thank you all for your time and for listening. Uh, I'll have some of the links to some of the things that uh, Chief Lee's talked about, uh, especially that app uh, in the show notes. And again, just appreciate it. Give us a feedback, rate and subscribe when you get a chance. And above all else, keep those shields up. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric Acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your hosts for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Electric acid.